0: 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3,
1: 2, 1. Live from Suffolk, this is The Late Show with Libby Isaac
2: good evening it is the 5th of october and we have a history extravaganza, spectacular tonight what a treat for you history teachers out there we have the hero that is ben walsh live ready to talk all things history then one of us the magnificent james mcrae tune in settle down dust your old copy of the GCSE modern world history out of that cupboard let's have a fantastic evening of history
1: live from suffolk This is The Late Show with Libby Isaac on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio.
2: Good evening everybody and welcome to tonight's show. So as you may have heard in my introduction there, tonight's show is all going to be based on history. Lucky you. Um, If you're a primary school teacher, please still say tuned in. Um, You may want to develop the primary humanities curriculum, then the questions and resources um, that we're going to be going through this evening will definitely help with that. However, tonight's show is really going to be based and focused around more of a secondary curriculum and secondary school history teaching. As I said in the introduction, we have got the hero that is Ben Walsh on the show, kindly coming in live to listen to any of your questions if you want to text them in um, and obviously answer the questions that I've I've sort of put together based on a lot of your input actually from what was put out there on the Twitter feed. Um, after Christmas I do actually have Christine Council and Steve Mastin on the show and they've set up their own new business based around primary school humanities curriculums so if you are a primary school teacher there's actually going to be a whole show dedicated amongst other things you know we're going to be talking corn oil and things like that too so there is a lot to be said this evening there's also going to be a lot more to come as well so obviously i wanted personally to do a history show as i am a history teacher and um, that is my passion that is absolutely where i began my career um, and it's it's actually where i want to go back to and it still feels so strange that as you develop your career in teaching, it removes you further and further from the classroom. And um, I actually mentioned it last week when we were talking to David Lees and Zoe Griffiths. Um, and I know more and more leaders who have gone back, or they've gone right to the top, and now all they want to do is get back into that classroom. Um, and I was, I was just sort of thinking, wouldn't that be a great, fantastic uh, research project to do as well? But anyway, that part got me thinking And it took me right back, which is where we're going to start off with this show. Um, If you're in ECT or you've just finished your NQT and you're just very, very much in the early stages of your career to do with teaching or history teaching specifically, where do you begin? There is so much out there, all you know, online, resources, Twitter is mind-boggling and, and actually quite overwhelming for somebody who's right at the beginning of their career. And so I just, you know, my advice to anybody who's out there who is at the beginning, and I'm sure if there's lots of history teachers, hopefully there's lots of history teachers listening, they will say exactly the same thing: is your department, your team, the people around you is where you start Um, and that subject hub time or department time is probably the most important part of being a history teacher because that is where you learn about everything that is where you get to talk through your passion that's where you get together that is where it absolutely all starts now i when i when i first started i actually started in a school where i was the only history teacher so you had one geography one history one RE teacher. So if you're like me, and you, you started off not with history teachers in the classroom next door, so you can bounce ideas off of, and ultimately, there are, you know, positives and negatives to that anyway, of being an, in a small school, generally, you get yourself out there, you go and ask the questions, you you follow some of the resources that we're going to be talking about this evening. Um, and if, if you are unsure, and You know most schools at the moment are part of a mat or a trust there must be a history specialist amongst you or you you contact some of the people that we're going to be talking about this evening um and it can be overwhelming if you are on your own in a small department um but that's why we've got people like ben walsh that's why we've got people like christine council that's why we've got people like james mcrae coming to talk to us this evening as well so please please never feel like you're alone, especially if you're a history teacher. So we're going to be talking through everything to do with history. And I know it's only an hour and a half. So there's probably not going to be everything. So I've kind of chosen some of the things that I thought you would want to be spoken about that you would want me to ask Ben on your behalf, um, that Um, James McRae is going to be asking as well so hopefully through those questions we're going to be you know answering a lot of what you've tuned in for too Um, and just going through a few of what is out there now I'm going to mention a few um If you've got any more that you want to put into the text, that is absolutely brilliant. And we can almost do a document and get that out there as well. Because I'm pretty sure I I haven't mentioned everything. Otherwise, we'd be here for the hour and a half that we have of the show. So some for me, some really important go-tos as a history teacher. The first one for me is that Historical Association. Um, it's It's a brilliant resource. And I know that Ben Walsh is the Vice president of this association so it'd be so good or associate vice principal or whatever the the initials are it'd be so good to hear from him in a little bit more detail as to what that can offer you i know that's really good for primary schools as well as secondary schools and um, then you've got loads of other things online like you've got the voice for history you've got the school's history you've got the it history teachinghistory.org you've got Tes, which actually has some really good resources and you've got um, really good articles on there as well if if you were ever in need of one. Hodder History, they do some brilliant CPD sessions. Um, you've got your go-to exam websites as well, but if you're ever struggling for moderation or you're ever ever struggling for exam technique or anything to do with that, they will get back to you straight away. Personally, I love the History Chappie. I'm hoping to get him on. He lives in India, he teaches in India um, on another show. He does some fantastic resources. Um, And you've just got so many different organization associations that you can go to and ask for advice. You've got the Teach Me History icons that I know our very own Tom Rogers is involved in. Um, Then you've got sort of go to individual people that are like your experts in history they are out there that are writing all the articles. So obviously, you've got Ben Walsh that we're going to be talking and speaking to this evening. Um, you've got Christine Council that we've mentioned. You've got Steve Mastin. Um, you've got our very own Kate Clones and Tom Rogers. Um, I know there are a lot of history teachers on the TT radio as well. Um, I saw in a Twitter feed just this week that a history teacher just asked for some advice on a resource and he was bombarded with examples. He was bombarded with advice from history teachers as well. So it's just, you know, putting your head above the parapet if you wanted um, to get a little bit more information out there, if that's the way you wanted to do it. And um, for me, Robert Peel, um, he works as a co-head now at the West London Free School. He's absolutely superb. And he's on Twitter. And a lot, a lot of people out there are out there for free, willing to give you that advice. Um, and a lot of them the best people you can ask for advice when it comes to history teaching, when it comes to history, are the ones in the room next door to you. So yes, you've got you know big educational consultants, you've got these wonderful groups that have organised, you've got all this research out there, but we'll go back to it. For me, it's that department time, it's that subject hub time, it's, it's listening to the people around you. Um, Leanne's just texted in, what is the best way to collect resources for work in local history? It's one I've always found a challenge in primary schools where I'm not from that area. Absolutely I mean I might not be the best expert with this but for me I think the Historical Association will be able to help you with that. They will give you um, access to information for that area because they've got resources they've also got um, consultants that work for them that may be helpful for you um, I, don't, I don't know if he um, would accept this but Dave Bill Bannon is so good at local history resources. He he did so many projects about that once upon a time. Um, but for me, and we'll ask uh, Ben Walsh later, definitely. But for me, I think the Historical Association, out of all of those, would be the best one for you, Leanne. Um, but going back to what I was I was talking about, all about collaboration. you're a history teacher it's all about experience it's all about passion of that subject i mean passion of that subject is why any teacher is successful in my opinion and in particular a secondary school it is about subject expertise so it's about if you've chosen to be a history teacher in a secondary school you've got to be so passionate about what you do and about developing yourself as a historian going to um, see Lucy Wolseley live, for example, as part of your CPD is absolutely something that you should be doing because it helps you embed that energy into your lesson. It helps you understand what you want to write when it comes to your curriculum. Um, Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the news. And when I come back from the news, I'm going to talk a little bit about why I personally became a history teacher. I mean, it is my show. but also, if you are out there and you're listening to the show, if you could text in whilst we're listening to the news, why did you become a history teacher? Not just a teacher, but why did you become a history teacher? And please, if you're from a primary school, please, please, please text in as well. Don't feel like you, you're not part of this show too. So why did you become a history teacher? And we're going to find out why I did after the news.
1: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
0: This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. The Scotsman reports that Scotland is to benefit from one of the strongest networks for the delivery of financial education to young people, with approval now granted for Young Enterprise Scotland to take on a wide-reaching venture helping school leavers to manage money. Evidence was submitted to the all-party parliamentary group on financial education for young people that more than half of UK teenagers have struggled with debt before their 17th birthday, and more than two thirds of young people lack the confidence to plan their financial future. Youth Enterprise Scotland will take on the delivery of CIFITS programmes to S6 pupils across 250 schools, after the Stuart Ivory Financial Education Trust decided to pass on its expertise to an organisation with greater resources. Youth Enterprise Scotland Chief Executive Geoff Leask describes the tie-up as a game-changer. He said the CIFIT resources and depth of reach add significant value to our portfolio of resources. The prospect now exists to implement a new blended financial education model of delivery that ensures that financial educations are not delivered in isolation but through a more holistic approach that achieves a greater impact in the long term. Wales is set to become the first UK nation to make the teaching of Black, Asian and minority ethnic histories and experiences mandatory in the school curriculum. The new Curriculum for Wales Guidance is due to be signed off next month, but the announcement coincides with the start of Black History Month. The new curriculum is set to be introduced in September 2022 and includes six areas of learning. Education Minister Jeremy Miles said, It is vitally important that our education system equips our young people to understand and respect their own and each other's histories, cultures and traditions. Today's announcement will enrich the new curriculum and therefore teaching in Wales for years to come. The announcement was welcomed by trade unions. Mike Payne, GMB senior organiser said, It's excellent news that this part of Welsh history is finally being recognised and put on the curriculum. This has been your daily education news briefing.
2: Excellent. Thank you for that, um, Ben. You are definitely in. Don't worry about that. I'll bring you in in a, in a in a bit. Thank you very much. So I was just um I was just talking before the news a little bit about why I wanted to become a history teacher because I think it's a great question to ask uh, history teachers, and I'm definitely going to ask Ben that and bring him into the conversation. Um, and for me, it wasn't it wasn't a massive thing. I suppose <laughs> um, my failed snowboarding dreams uh, didn't exist anymore much to my parents' pleasure. Um, I actually applied to be a primary school teacher because I loved the idea of Christmas and the the school nativity. Um, But I actually failed the maths test on the primary because maths is definitely not my strength. Um, So I went to work in a secondary school as a volunteer because my godmother is a drama teacher. I mean, she's retired now. She's a wonderful English and drama teacher. And I just went for something to do. I think my mum gave her a, a phone call and I didn't fall into it. Uh, I, was obviously, I was obviously quite good at it, and I, I enjoyed it. And I worked unqualified there. And then I went through on the on the GTP course. And for me, history was always going to be history. History was my favourite subject at school. Um, I just really liked my teachers. They weren't massively um, inspirational when it when it came to teaching. I remember using a textbook and copying out about trains and about canals and about railways. And my challenge or my extension task uh, when I was in year 11 was to copy the next page in comparison to the to the students who were copying that page. So, you know, it wasn't the diet that we get in the classroom today or any of the the training that we get, but I just really respected the history teachers. um, And I really liked it. And I was never, I was never predictably good at it. So, uh, especially for A level, GCSE I was fine. But for A level, Um, I'd either get an A, the the complete top end of the spectrum, or I would get an F, a U, or, or an E. And I would scare my teachers going into the exam because they just had no idea what I would come out with. And if you look back at that now, obviously, I didn't understand about exam technique. Nobody had really sat me down and spoken to me and shown me what exam technique was, because I could learn and revise like a parrot the whole of those history textbooks but I still wasn't getting the the results perhaps that I should have reflected because I didn't understand exam technique um and I I really really understand students today when they're sat in front of me and you know that they're they predicted sevens or they predicted sixes and they're predicted eights and they're not getting it. They're coming out with threes and they're coming out with fours and they're in tears going, miss, what am I doing so wrong? And I'm like, ah, well, I can tell you because I did exactly the same thing. So being able to identify those misconceptions um, for me just made history so much easier to teach. And I wanted to to bring it alive. I wanted to make it exciting. And my goodness, it's such a wonderful topic to teach it is so interesting. And how lucky are we to be able to teach it the way that we can teach it if you think back to when you were at school, perhaps, or when my Nana was actually a history teacher, shout out to her when she was a history teacher, um, what it would have been like for our parents and our grandparents and their diet of history at school. And that that for me is is absolutely why I pursued it. Um, So it'd be great to hear why you pursued it as well. Um, So before I introduce Ben, um, the very first time I met Ben, um, and this is not a personal thing, this is because he was delivering a CPD session. I can't even remember where it was. It was actually my very first CPD session. Um, and he did a session all around interpretations. And he was, he was telling us um, that we need to introduce interpretations to students and to make it real to the students. Because the students don't see or connect interpretations to historians, to real people. So he was explaining to us that the best thing you can do with an interpretation to teach you is to bring it alive for the students. Um, and wh- one of the things he actually mentioned, I mean, he obviously did the technique on how, how to teach an interpretation as well. But if you could get a real life historian into your classroom to meet the students, that would just be an absolutely fantastic way to break down this barrier for them. Um, you know, so they don't, Necessarily think that they will start in a music museum like Jeremy Bentham. So I actually, I did as a teacher, I got in contact with Mary Beard and she was so willing to come into the classroom because he said most historians, and I remember it to this day, will want to come into the classroom, will want to make that connection to the students because they don't want to be seen as something part of a museum. And Mary Beard absolutely was definitely willing to do that. And um, she's actually coming on the TT Radio Show on the 23rd of November. So I'm going to I'm gonna um, talk to her a little bit about that too, um, because I do think it's really important to to bring history alive, to make it current, to make it real for the students in front of us. Um, Before I bring you on then, I'm just gonna play one of the adverts, then we've got a whole chunk of time uninterrupted. And if anybody, Um, wants to text in a question now to ask Ben, then as I go through the sort of questions that I've collated, we can can text in some of your answers. Or if you wanted to expand on something that Ben was talking about, that would be great as well. So let's just hear from our sponsors first, and then we're going to hear from the mighty Ben Walsh.
1: Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the history hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Deanna Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about Black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your schoolbooks. Make sure you subscribe to The History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at The History Hotline on Instagram and at The History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes.
1: Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge, and empower your team through the MAL CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and the Emotionally Intelligent Leader courses? All MAL CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com.
2: Okay, brilliant. Now I'm going to introduce Ben. So that's enough about me. So we can get get the person that we're all here to be listening to this evening. Um, hello, Ben. Can you hear me?
4: I can indeed. Can you hear me?
2: Yes, very. We can definitely hear you. Thank you so much for coming on this evening. Oh, pleasure. Um, have you had a nice day?
4: Uh, yeah, it's been a busy day, but I've been in a, uh, one of our schools. Um, and uh, <laughs> possibly the highlight of the day was uh, was the head telling me that he's been um, <clears throat> been getting ambushed by year eights, who we were all desperate to tell him about the changing balance of power between the uh, monarchy and the political nation in the uh, Tudor period. Um, he said, "I have no idea what they were talking about, but it sounded good." So, um, <clears throat> so clearly, our, our history teachers are doing something good.
2: That, and that's, that's the point, isn't it? If we can get the students talking history in the corridors, then th- th- that school is definitely doing something right, isn't it?
4: It's, it's fascinating what they pick up on, isn't it? I remember another one of our schools, the teacher was telling me that there's a bunch of Year 7s now sort of wandering around Lincolnshire uh, who are completely obsessed with Edward Gibbon and the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. <laughs> um, so <laughs> they just apparently they just found him fascinating. So, uh, yeah, you never know what's going to light their candle, do
2: well, exactly. Um, so before before we sort of delve into some of the questions that we've got for you this evening, are you okay to sort of introduce yourself? I know we know who you are, but maybe talk a little bit about your career so far and, and specifically what you're doing now.
4: Sure, yeah. Um, well, obviously, I um, trained as a teacher. I think it was probably just after the Reformation. That's how it feels anyway. Um, I don't, and, think, uh, you don't
2: think you're that old, Ben. <laughs> <laughs>
4: And so yeah, I've been involved in history teaching as a, as a, a teacher and a head of department, and then um, I came out of teaching briefly to work in, a, uh, in publishing, and then went back in part-time. So I was, at that point, I was uh, working half-time and, and then also writing and doing sort of various projects, particularly relating to um, the use of technology in history teaching, because lots yeah. of the archives uh, were digitizing their collections at that stage. Um, and so there were various sort of projects that, you know, obviously people recognised the potential for uh, for the classroom of, of digital collections of, of archives. Um, and it was particularly British Library and, and the, well, the Public Record Office, um, which then became the National Archives as it is now, um, were, were sort of very much leading the way. Um, so a number of projects of, of that sort. And um yeah, really, for, for, for many years, we've really, just been sort of doing that, that combination. And then um, now uh, I am the um, <clears throat> finally got a proper job again. Um, I'm the trust-wide subject lead for the uh, David Ross Education Trust, or DRET, as we tend to call it. Um, so we've got 11 secondary schools and a bunch of primaries. Um, and, yeah, we're in the, in the process of building a, a trust-wide curriculum for, for history. Um, amongst the the day-to-day stuff
2: I think I think they're they're so they're so lucky to have you apart from the fact of your expertise but also if you've got the primary schools within within a secondary school mat at that level of 11 of them then you and you're the person who's embedding that humanities curriculum and you can see it go from key stage one two three four five that that is that is something quite special isn't it
4: I think that's the long-term vision. Although at the moment I'm I'm sort of um, just secondary, but I, I think you know the the potential, as you say, is is really exciting. And um, already some of our primary teachers are sort of you know knocking on the gates, kind of thing, and you know sort of uh, wanting to get in on, get in on the act.
2: Mm. I think there's 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 a lot there's a lot um, to be said there because obviously um to be a really effective history teacher at secondary school to be really passionate about your subject and to really know you know your history and obviously to to get that into a primary school with with teachers there who are not specialists in history i mean they might be a humanities specialist and i'm not i'm not saying anything um about that but obviously um to share some of the resources and the expertise there that's that's something that that needs to happen more i think with primary schools
4: I, I agree I mean I, I think that um, you know the, the the greatest asset that i I see in primary teachers is that they're just so sort of open mm. to you know improving and trying things out and um, you know recognizing that they they're not specialists you know that's the very nature of the job um, and so the when you, my experience is usually when uh, you get the chance to just talk to them about something you know where because obviously yeah. You, you as whether as a secondary specialist you have the advantage of being a specialist um, and even even we specialists you know we can't keep up with everything so if you have to do you know a dozen other subjects as well, it's just clearly not possible to um, to, to be sort of completely up to date on um, every new twist and turn of what's happening in in um, the discipline of history and I think that you know that, that there is definitely, um, a, a huge potential there. Um, you know, there are these practical difficulties. Just the timetable is the obvious one um, for for sort of links between primary and secondary schools. But I think you know a lot of trusts are wrestling with this and finding ways to do it. Um, and uh, you know, I, I agree with you. I think the the sort of blurring of the boundaries uh, would particularly you know, really um, be exciting for a subject like history.
2: Mm, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, I sort of, I, I work uh, part time for a trust and I've just um, been given the opportunity to go into the primary schools myself. So it's just, it's just, I mean, I, abs- I absolutely love going to the primary school because it's so, it's so different to where, where, where I'm used to. And it just to be able to sort of, you know, like take history to them is, is so much fun. And I'm, I'm nowhere near, an expert at it, and I'm I'm learning from them more than they're learning from me at the moment. But it is <laughs> incredibly exciting. Um, so we yeah. went off track then because because uh, I wanted to pick your brain on that because I'm quite passionate about the primary school um, secondary school merge, so to speak. Um, so go back to the beginning. Why did you want to be a history teacher?
4: Um, I, I, to be honest, I think it's one of those things where I. You know, I did A-level history and I did history in my degree and just kind of lived, it, lived ate it and breathed it. You know, it, it was just something I was um, absolutely passionate about and also um, quite good at ranting. And <laughs> mo- most of my fellow students just kind of assumed that I was going to go and teach. And so I thought, oh, yeah, OK, that makes sense um so in a sense it was it was almost it's almost like i feel like i was a bit programmed for it um the the um you know i i briefly considered the possibility of, of sort of staying on to um to do a further degree but um in the end really it was it was sort of um a, a passion i suppose as, I, I often think it's similar to to being um Uh, An interpreter, you know. What we as teachers do, I think, in some ways, is is we get the best of both worlds. In that, we we access the academic world, um, and we have to somehow interpret and translate that for our audience of young people. Um, And you know, the 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 skill is in understanding what the academic world is saying about history, um, and then. Uh, wrestling with it, you know, taking out bits um, and packaging bits in ways that, that young people can get their heads around that. Um, so I think, it, I guess it's, sort of, as I say, mo- most of all, just a love of the subject, um, yeah. but also combined with, sort of the, I suppose, an enthusiasm for communicating, which, you know, is, is, is a polite way of saying it you know, talks a lot.
2: <laughs> I, I, I talk a lot as well. Um, so, like, just I, I'm going to write some of your quotes down because um, I, I absolutely love what you just said there. So, access—we access the academic world, and it's how to translate that for our students. I think that's a really wonderful way to define a history teacher's job. Um, so, in your opinion, what makes an effective history department?
4: Ooh, um, I think that I would. I mean, the, the, you're always stuck with this thing, aren't you, with, with sort of education? The, which of the the kind of the more generic things are um, important or more important, and which of the subject-specific things? And so, you know, the, obviously there are aspects of of a department that would be true for for any subject. And so, for example, you know, things like um, sharing the workload and, you know, sort of just being supportive, you know, I, I don't, we shouldn't underestimate the importance of that. I do think that, um, you know, whether it's sort of the, the whole band of brothers thing sort of in the military or whether it's, uh, you know, teams of, of, of uh, people who are, um, you know servicing photocopiers or whatever it is, the fact is that, that a bond develops, so I think that you know getting on with each other actually is is a really important part of yeah. an effective history department. I think also um, you know recognizing um, what your your strengths are and, and I suppose possibly weaknesses as well I'm I'm thinking of, of you know we we've got a couple of the departments in in some of our schools you know we we, we have the the sort of um, the, the, almost like stereotypical mix of um, the the absolute sort of uber um, historian you know sort of uh, who just seems to know everything you um, but also, but maybe not as good a communicator as as one of the other historians there. Mm. Um, so I think it's recognizing that it, that it takes all types. But I think probably if there was one thing that you that, that I would say is is that um, it's it's the a, a commitment to sit down and talk through the curriculum. Um, the you know, and obviously to a great extent that's dependent on um Sort of senior leadership as well, making that time available. Yeah. That's you know something that at Drett, um our our leaders are very aware and very committed to the importance of that. That they they want departmental meetings basically to consist of subject specialists talking to each other about what we're teaching this week. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the the new curriculum um that is coming through for us at, at Key Stage three. So um and and
2: pulling out i suppose christine council's face that core knowledge that like that absolute take-home for every single student in that lesson and then embedding that in a a sequence as well
4: absolutely um and and i think it's the i mean one of the things we try to do is is, um so basically we have obviously we have our, our trust curriculum and then um, the, we, the, the Trust sort of you know provides the, the resources for that and then um, I do a kind of video walkthrough. Um, so, you know, I talk them through all the various slides and resources and that sort of thing mm-hmm. and ramble on about, you know, sort of the, these are the things that we're trying to get across. So the example I referred to earlier, for instance, you know, I was saying that the fundamental bit of this part of the course is that the students see that there is a shift in power, um, and in you know from the monarchy to sorry, uh, away from the aristocracy if you like to the monarchy or, or well we use the term the political nation because um, it's I know it's not terribly vogue but I always think it's, it's a brilliant term it was coined by a historian called Derek Lothes in the in the 70s I think it was um, and he was talking about the early modern period particularly and. What, what he meant really was that anybody who has some kind of say. So he obviously he meant the aristocracy, you know, the great mm. no, nobles and the earls and the dukes and so on. But he he also meant you know the merchants in the towns and um, the the sort of the gentry, the, the people who might become MPs, for example, um, in that early modern period. So he was saying that the the balance of power and also the people who are, paid a lot of the taxes and collected them as well. Um and you know his 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 point really was that there is this there was this group in society that you could broadly turn the political nation, somebody who had some kind of clout or say. Um and obviously it would be a very interesting sort of, <laughs> I'm sure there are historians sort of spinning here thinking, oh you know, such and such a group has had agency or, or whatever, and that's the be- best thing about history, isn't it, that we're always thinking and rethinking it. Um but the, the, sorry, to come back to the original point, you know, we we're saying that, OK, if, if they don't get anything else, what we want them to understand is that from, you know, roughly the late 1400s, circa fifteen hundred to circa sixteen hundred, the balance, you know, the pendulum swings in favour of the monarchy. Um, exactly how far? That's for historians to, <laughs> to debate and, uh, and put. Um, You know, put the argument together. And then, of course, you know, later on, we're going to look at the 17th century where it swings back. Now, there's a lot of detail missing in there, but I think one of the things about, um, you know, being a history teacher is knowing enough history in order to be able to say, okay, there's a lot of stuff here, but this is the bit that matters. This is the bit that we're going to focus on. And you need to know a lot in order to be able to make that decision. In my view,
2: what's um, what's your favourite topic to teach in history?
4: <laughs> um, oh wow! I I do actually like the, um, the 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 civil wars. You know of the sixteen forties. I think is a is a, is a fascinating area. <laughs>
2: Come and teach them for me. <laughs> I don't, don't like them as much. But, but
4: increasingly now, I, I think it, it, it. I would say that not not that I you know sort of I wouldn't count myself as a frontline teacher. i uh, I have this wonderful job where I just go around pontificating while someone else does all the hard work. <laughs> um, and, but but certainly the, that that period. But I think for me, a lot of it is the the, the joy of of the sort of new insights being uncovered. Um, you know, so for example, if you take something like Toby Green's marvelous book on on West Africa, Fistful of Shells, um, where he he sort of um, he just rolls back the the sort of the layers of of um, interpretation and and perception, I suppose would be the right way to put it. That you know, the w- one of the things that we're trying to do in our, in our you sort of Key Stage three curriculum particularly is. Get the, the the pupils to sort of wrestle with this idea that um, in this country particularly, and I think it's, it's fair to say in, in the Western world, you know, the the, the the reality is that history started, you know, being written in, in any kind of popular form in in the nineteenth century. You know, I mean, obviously those are not the first history books, but you know, we're talking about the Macaulays and and sort of that and so on. Um or you might be talking about Burkhardt and um, uh, you know, writing about the Renaissance. yeah, and and these were guys who were writing in the 19th century, not surprisingly, therefore, you know, wrote from a 19th century perspective, you know, they they saw the world in in that way. So Burkhardt, you know, tended to sort of see the Renaissance as anti-Catholic and he saw it because he was a Swiss Protestant. Um, and he tended to see it as sort of um, the beginning of it was the the first step if you like to the road of the european supremacy in in which he lived in the 19th century Um, and or alternatively you know you look at gibbon um looking you know really writing about the the roman empire through pretty rose tinted glasses um you know because the world in which he was struggling around just seemed to be falling apart and the roman empire just seemed so orderly to him Um, and and I think the you know stripping away some of the, some of this stuff and saying that um, you know certainly when I was taught about European <laughs> voyages of discovery as they were called in those days, <laughs> um, and you know we tend to talk now about you know expansion and um, or exploration or conquest, um, and you know I, I was certainly told that the Europeans were well they were just trying to get past Africa to China. Um, and and what Toby Green is sort of saying, well, let, let's let's just strip away that um, that viewpoint that people are trying to get past Africa. Let's let's actually look at what they did. Let's look at the the ship manifests of the Portuguese um, sort of traders. Let let's look at the invoices. Let's look at the goods that are coming in and out. Um, and of course, you know, what we find is that they weren't trying to get past Africa. They were trying to get to Africa. You know, because West Africa, particularly, was, was almost literally a gold mine um, at, at that period. Um, you know, it, it often surprises people that um, Timbuktu, for example, the capital of Mali, in in sort of 1450, was, was roughly the same size as London, population of about 50,000. Um, so you know, th- they are on fairly similar levels of, of development, and and so we th- this was. We were anxious that this should be, you know, our, our students' first encounter with Africa shouldn't mm. be the, the slave trade, you know, or um, imperialism and that sort of thing. It, it should be. So we have this activity where we just say, what did the Portuguese find when they got to West Africa? And then we, you know, we get them looking at some sources and testing out some ideas and hypotheses and then studying some scholarship from David Olsoga and from um, Toby Green. Um, and if, if you haven't come across that, that book, um, you know, to the audience, just just read it. It's fantastic.
2: What what was it called again, Ben?
4: It's called a fistful of shells. Yeah. Um, and the shells in question are the cowrie are shells, um, and you know he, he basically tells us about the um, you know the fascinating and marvelous and sophisticated civilizations that existed, uh, but also how um, essentially. Um, combination of luck and or bad luck if you like from an African point of view um, plus ruthless exploitation um, really undermined a lot of these civilizations and one of the key elements to this was that cowrie shells were used as a um, not exactly a currency but almost like a form of of sort of credit as it were. So, So were things like iron bars because these things were relatively rare Africa and of course the Europeans spotted this and and just carted shiploads of cowrie shells from um, from the west coast of India and iron bars um, and effectively you know sort of inflated the or you know ravaged these economies um, with, with with sort of inflationary practices and then effectively demanded payments in gold and, and trafficked enslaved people um, that's a very, very short. <laughs> he, he would probably have an embolism if he if he heard that kind <laughs> of um, that that level of, of short summary. But I think he gets the gist across.
2: So you, you mentioned a book there, so I'm just going to uh, move on to another question. So um, if you've got, we've got um, some live listeners now that are interested in history, history teachers, what what resources would you say are really useful for a teacher or what books would you recommend or websites, where, where would you send them to? Um,
4: I, I think in terms, I think you said this kind of in your introduction is the, 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 um, you know, Twitter is a great place for what you might call um, the the communication side. Yeah. Know, the, the sort of you know lesson plans and um, you know uh, schemes of learning and and um, the, the, the sort of uh, the, the nuts and bolts, if you like, of, of, of what we do. Um, but you know the I, I, it would be, I mean, this is always a council of perfection, isn't it, to some degree? But clearly um we all have a limited amount of time and so therefore it you know that is the factor that depends that is going to decide how much time you're able to put into it but you know from my point of view i would always say that if if rather than looking for a a nifty worksheet on twitter i mean if that's all the time you've got then that's all the time you've got it doesn't make you a bad person but you know the fact is that digging that back into teaching history, you know. So, for example, uh, and obviously that's the Historical Association um, publication for teachers. I mean, there's also these absolutely wonderful um, features called What's the Wisdom On? Um, And so this is where um, (sighs) Christian Council and uh, Catherine Byrne um, and uh, Helen Snelson, these are a, well, Christine needs no introduction. And uh, Helen's the PGC leader at York. Um, Catherine was at that at Oxford and is, is now um, sort of uh, she teaches on that course. But uh, yeah, sorry, Catherine, I can't quite remember what your post is. I know it's senior something or other. Um, and um, they, they basically sort of you know, th- there are these webinars where they sort of chew the fat on these issues. Um, but also these wonderful articles, usually four or five pages, um, where they kind of summarize, you know, what's the wisdom on causation? What's the wisdom on um, sources and evidence? What's the wisdom on extended reading and history? You know, so um, and what I would obviously encourage people to do is to, to look at those and then look at the references in those pieces and start reading those teaching history articles Um but you know we, we have to be realistic about you know how much time you have available to you know we, we all have family yeah, connections exactly, and, yeah. and, well, um, and, and everything else so um, have you got any
2: sort of um, recommendations for for really effective cpd because obviously you know developing the history teacher should should be the heart of the history department and um, you know a, a teacher's performance management. So, so what what his, history related CPD could you recommend?
4: Well, I mean, you, you've, you've mentioned the, the the you know the, the ones I would. Yeah, <laughs> I had a, I had no, that's fine. Yeah, you, you you were gradually ticking them off, like the, <laughs> the t- teach me history icons. Did
2: my homework um, well.
4: Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and and obviously, you know, the, I think the historical association is the. Is the hub of this, but of course we shouldn't forget the Schools History Project either. Yeah, really good. Um, yeah. You know, which is is you know absolutely marvellous and uh, another sort of the hub of these things. I mean, it's, I don't. Sometimes history teachers probably don't realise how incredibly lucky they are compared to some other subjects, which just don't have the same wealth um, of very high quality and um, sort of resource material that's available either at fairly low cost or, or even free. Um, and so, so I think the you know th- those are the areas that um, and and when, you know when I say historical association and obviously the website there, but there are also these local networks. Mm. Um, and so you've got the Midlands History Forum, which actually sort of was independent of the AJ originally, but they weren't very closely with them. And then you've got the Northern History Forum and, and various others of, of these as well. Um, so so I think the you know my my. Absolute top tip would be get get yourself subscribed um, to the historical association and um, and and sort of use use the resources that are there because there's more on there than anybody could read in their lifetime yeah. now you know a, a teacher starting to teach now there's no way they would get through everything on the on the HA HM website um, I I really don't think so and then of course obviously there's the um you know the the some of the textbook area or sorry the you know um what what do we call them the handbook areas you know the that we've seen again christine has written a number of these things at terry hayden's books um about teaching history as well um and you know as i say that there's such richness but i would also say you know in addition to that um there's the you know the subject up, update stuff, and you know it, it's hard to beat you know sort of uh, BBC History Extra, um, you know which makes um, up to date scholarship fairly easy and accessible in a you know podcasts of about one hour or so, uh, and similarly Dan Snow's History Hit. Um, yeah, I
2: am quite a big fan of Dan Snow. <laughs> <laughs> No, I I I think he'd be quite good on here, but I don't know if it'd ever want to come on here because obviously he's. He'd I, I I think i would be
4: surprised, you know, you you made the point earlier on about what I said about yeah. it, you know historians are usually pretty willing to do that. I mean, again, if, if I just sort of take as a case in point, um, we we have in in Drett, we have a, a program called Dret Reads. Um, so this is, I think, a lot of schools and certainly a lot of trusts have the programs where, essentially, the form tutor, you know, is, reads for twenty minutes out of a book, and the, the, the pupils are all reading the same book at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So it's designed to, you know, sort of um, just encourage a lot of reading. And, mm-hmm. and uh, one of our books is Peter Frankopan Silk Road, and he he came and read. <laughs> for one oh, I, so, I think that's
2: so, it's so good because. That that part I remember I, I spoke about it earlier, when I came to listen to you, and this was at the beginning of my career, really, and it really stuck out to me to do that. And then when I got that mm-hmm. f- that feedback from Mary Bid, it was almost instantaneous. Like I, yeah, I, I yeah. thought, you know, I'd, oh, there's no way she's going to get in contact, and straight away she absolutely not not because she's a bub or anything like that, that's because she's busy. But straight away yeah. she just you know she tried to make it work, and I just I thought, wow, that you know your point was proven right there, wasn't it?
4: And you know, you, you just have to look again on the HA website, go to the podcasts section where, you know, academic after academic gives up yeah. the the you know an afternoon to to record a podcast on whatever their field of expertise is. Um, they, they they generally speaking, um, you know, are, are are very happy to do that. Um I mean, mo- most of them are happy to do that because they're just nice people and they love history yeah. and they love the idea of more people knowing about their history. Um, if you if you want to be kind of um, mechanistic about it, then you know they also have a, a, a um, an outreach imperative. You know, they, most of them have targets um, for for sort of um, connecting, if you like, their work. I, I don't just mean historians; I mean all. all University academics have the, this sort of uh, outreach agenda, so to speak, um, and uh, and they, you know, so it's 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 good for them professionally yeah. to be sort of en- engaging in this. And it, of course, most of them tend to think in terms of a sixth form conference uh, because obviously that's that's an area, you know, A-level students coming into university, they they kind of feel that oh yeah, I know this scene, but but actually, you know, the with a I, bit I think I'm thinking
2: year eight and year nine absolutely that's what I'm saying <laughs> yeah you
4: know, with, with a little bit of, of time and thought um, then then you know that this this I think is the area where um, where they you know can, can have a big impact and I, I also think this is beholden on us as, as teachers even if we can't get an academic in um, you know to to make the most of, of or at least to get our students to understand um that history is, is created um, by these by these historians. I I have a, a sort of favorite phrase that, that um, you know most people think that or let me put it another way. Um, I, I was reading a thread by an American academic called uh, Ted McCormick the other day and he's he's a history of science and technology but uh, he's he's very interested in um, public perceptions of history. Um, and to some extent, science as well. And, and he just sort of unrolled this thread the other day where he was sort of saying, musing really. And he was saying, it's interesting that um, people don't seem to have any problem with the idea that scientists make science. You know, no- nobody thinks that the COVID vaccine was just sort of, you know, down the back of the sofa with your keys. You know, and so, oh, there it is. I was wondering where that was. You know, <laughs> every, everybody seems to accept the idea that, that well, they had to, to create this thing.
0: You know, yeah. They had
4: to do research and try things and mix things and test them out and compare them and, and so on and so on. And yet, people do tend to think that history is just out there. They, they tend to think it's, it's just there um, if they think about the nature of history at all. You know, the, 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 the history of X is oh, it's in a book somewhere. Um, but if you stop and think about it, you know, like, let's say, for example, you're, if you want to do your family history, well, nobody's written that book. It's, that's not just out there. You, you have to put that together. You know, it, it doesn't exist unless somebody puts it together. Um, and I, I just think this is a fundamental element of, of history. And I think that if we don't engage with it early when, when they're young, then they're going to fill in that gap. And they're going to basically think, well, you know, this is being presented to me. This subject of history is being presented to me as though we know it and it's sorted. You know, the, nobody said anything about arguments here. Um, and so when we do start getting into controversy or indeed just ask them those those questions about, you know, how, blah, blah, blah. How far, how far do you agree? Suddenly, you know, someone said, well, what do you mean, how far do I agree? You know. It's right or wrong, isn't it? Um, and and so we're going to have to unpick that if we don't start. I, I would argue from year seven or even earlier with this idea that history is um, is constructed and it's contested uh, and it's, it's constantly being rewritten. Um, you know, whether it's new perspectives or new evidence or or whatever. Um, and I I think I I like to sum it up by by just sort of saying that history and events are not the same thing you know that the history starts when the events are finished absolutely you know, so, so the events happen and history is, is us all scratching our heads and trying to make sense of it
2: and i think i think what you've just said it, it, history is absolutely current and it's absolutely relevant so when you get that typical i don't know i've had it before with parents and i've had it with students or what's the point in history it's about the past it's absolutely not and it's about making the students recognize that and, you know, helping the younger generation, that, you know, get the passion that you've just, you've just spoken um, quite easily for 40 minutes about history. And we are, <laughs> ab- no, we're, yes, we're so loving it. it, but that note that's wonderful. That's the whole point, isn't it? Is, is, is that, you know, history is this subject that you can, you can really, really delve into and really talk about. And it's about getting down to how to teach that to the students in front of you. Um, so what you we're going to do, gonna do no, go you. on. Oh, sorry,
4: I'm just going to say one, go. one sort of last yeah. point. The, that, that, um, I, I think that it also gives us a, um, you know, a disciplinary framework. It's a, it's a way yeah. of thinking, and that you know, the it, it's it, it's almost a lab for you know. I think one of the most important attributes of 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 a human being is is to be able to to look at the other you know, the the stranger or the strange group. And and to do so from, to, uh, and rather than dismiss them or ridicule them or despise them or whatever it is because they're different, you know, to sort of say, well, how, how would I understand these people better? Um, now, I think, you know, the world would be a better place if we were doing more of that today in in the present day circumstances. And And history actually is the perfect training ground for doing that. You know, instead of sort of looking at, I don't know, Soldiers on the Western Front in the First World War, and thinking they're they're a bunch of idiots because you know that they, they, um, that they, they all went over the top, so to speak, you know, and that caricature, adder sort of idea. The the well, how about we actually just you know go and look at what they said and thought and read and, and believed and wrote home and um you know the, the the so that we get a better understanding of them, um or if we're talking about um. You know, people in, in sort of the industrial towns and cities of the 19th century that, you know, do you think they wanted to live in those terrible conditions? There's, there's a danger that if we don't explore why they were doing that, that um, we're condemning the other, as it were, without giving them a, a fair
2: shout. Absolutely. What Wise words from uh, Mr. Ben Walsh there. Um, so, Ben, are you okay to stay on the line whilst we listen to James? Because he's got some questions for you as well. Great. Yeah, no Um, problem. What what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little bit of a break. So I'm going to play some adverts and then I'm going to introduce James and ask him a few little questions and then um, he's going to ask you. So I'll I'll mute and bring you in as and when.
4: Okay. I'm in your hands.
2: Oh, lovely. Okay. So just going to play some adverts now. And when we're back, we're just going to be introduced to James McRae.
4: Need support with your
1: phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programs to help you? Read Write Inc. Phonics, Floppy's Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit OxfordPrimary.com forward slash phonics. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com
2: Excellent. Thank you from our sponsors. So I'm just going to bring Mr. McRae into the conversation. Good evening, James.
5: Hello, Libby. How are you?
2: I'm very well, thank you. How are you? And thank you for giving up your bake-off time this evening.
5: <laughs> yeah, thank you. You're very welcome.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's your thing, but maybe it is. No, really. um, so, so um, obviously we just uh we had the pleasure of listening to to Ben talk history, um what wonderful free cbd Um yeah. so before before we ask him the, the questions, um, can you just introduce to the listeners who you are?
5: and a bit about your background. Yeah, so um, I've been a history teacher since 2009. I came to it rather late in life. Um, so I was about 39 when I got my first teaching job. I uh, did lots of other things before that, uh, which would probably helped me in good stead. Um, high school teacher, uh, history teacher, uh, but I have taught other things as well, including law, government and politics, um, geography, RE, all that kind of uh, humanities stuff. Um, and I'm now doing a bit more in teacher training. So I've been a, uh, NQT mentor, um, and, um, a skip mentor, uh, for the last few years. And, uh, that's something I'm sort of doing a bit more and more. So that's me, I
2: guess. So, so you're embedded in the new ECT framework.
5: Yes, yes, Fantastic. yes. And I have to stop, stop calling them NQTs. Uh, it's...
2: I feel like I've got used to it now, but it definitely takes a while to get used of. Yeah. Um, so why did you want to be his teacher? So if you came into it a little bit later in life, why yeah. why, why did you choose to do that then?
5: Well, I I was a terrible, terrible, terrible student at school and um, I was a naughty boy. And <laughs> I, you know, as a result, I failed everything. Um, so I left school with no qualifications at all. Well done. Um, yes. So uh, quite an achievement, actually. Nothing. Um, and so I, I went on to do. Well, I was going to be a rock star, obviously, as, as every sixteen-year-old kid is going to be. But um, that didn't happen. So I did. I've done lots, done lots of various jobs. Now, why did I want to get back into teaching? Because for the first few years after leaving school, the thought of going back to any school was horrific for me. I didn't want to go back through those gates ever again. Although, in reflection, I realised that when I was at school, I was like the idea of being a teacher, but I kind of just dis, dismissed it as a as a. as as an occupation because I'd done so badly at school and I'd convinced myself that, you know, I wasn't that kind of person. I kind of uh, realised in my mid-20s that I had to do something in my life and so I decided to go back and get some GCSEs and A-levels and then I took a degree with the um, OU and by that point I decided I I did want to be a teacher and a history teacher. Um, Now, I heard you sort of, you know, talking to Ben earlier about why he uh, got into history and why I ought to be a history teacher and I, I don't know how I can answer that, really. I, I, I really like, um, you know, really interested in history. But I think politics was the gateway drug for me to get into history because I was, I was quite political as a young man. And I realised in order to kind of understand what's going on, you've got to look back in, you know, to into the past, into political history. And I think that's what got me engaged. So, my, you know, my first love was very much kind of 20th century um, political history and and therefore leading on to like the Cold War. Mm. Um, but um, And as I was researching that, I got more and more interested in, in history itself. So that's what I was going to do. So I took a degree with the OU and uh, then uh, got a placement at a local school, ultimately and did my PGCE um, sort of placement there. And I've loved it ever since.
2: And I think you can tell you've loved it as well. And I think listening to people that come into it a little bit later on in life, I think I think in a way... It just gives it a different perspective, doesn't it? Because you you know you've got all that that experience, and
3: yeah.
2: it's something that you actually really, really, really have thought hard about.
5: Yeah, it is, and it's it's something. When I decided I wanted to do it, you know, I was I was very driven to do it. It wasn't something I fell into. It wasn't one of those kind of well, I can't yeah. do anything else, so I'm going to be a teacher. It was something I, I I knew I I you know I knew I wanted to do. Um, but yeah, I think I think doing other things. I mean, I've I've done hundreds of jobs from postman to Um, you know, chicken factory to, uh, I don't know, recruitment consultant, Vodafone salesman, worked in record shops for years. So I did loads of things completely unrelated, but, um, uh, you know, but that interest was still there. And um, I kind of had that, I, I knew I had to do something about it and I knew I had to pick myself up. I mean, I was, I was lucky because I got in there when local colleges were still doing uh, evening classes for, you know, for GCSE yeah. and A levels, which I mean I don't think I'd be able to do it now because there's nowhere anywhere around me that offers such things. So I'm very thankful that I got in there at that kind of last throw of uh adult um education um, you know, in regards to resitting GCSEs and A levels again. Um and I sort of managed just to squeeze in there. Um, before that that door closed so it
2: was obviously fate for you James
5: well I, I don't know about that but um it was very very for- fortunate that I got in when I did so but yeah well, and I'm, I'm loving it still
2: well, that, well that's it's so and it's it's actually quite refreshing to hear so um although I wouldn't have had you on otherwise so what is the hardest thing you teach like curriculum not wise what is the hardest thing
5: well I, this is a, this is a difficult question because I think if you if you if you know the subject and you enjoy the the, the topic sorry if you know the topic enjoy the topic yeah. then it's always the easiest thing to teach because um it's 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 when you're really passionate about i think the hardest one is always the one that you're you've, you, you've got to introduce or you haven't taught before and you've you've got to learn it now don't get me wrong i think actually ultimately one of my most favorite things is is learning about that topic um i mean for example um when I when I started teaching, I was pro, a primarily A level teaching, and it was all modern history. It was all you know, Cold War, civil rights, Germany, yeah. um, all that kind of stuff. So um, you know, I kind of really got clued up on that, and that was, that was kind of my interest anyway. Um, so learning about um, medieval, I found quite hard to get into because it was it was it was so foreign to me. Um, learning about it, but of course, you know, the more you read about it, the more you know. Social history is the same throughout the centuries, really, and um, you know, the more you kind of identify with the people, um, uh, both in power and in the slums, and you kind of, um, you kind of get to enjoy it. So, I, it's when it's, it's a topic I don't know, I initially find the most difficult part, but then I tend to find that that becomes one of my favourites because I get a bit obsessed with it and I start researching it a lot more.
2: That's yeah. a, that's, a, that's a really um nice way to explain it to an ECT actually if they're worried about uh, a topic that they don't know much about that you you can be, it can become your favorite because you become really obsessed with it I think that's a really <laughs> nice a really nice way to um, to put it
5: and I think um, and I think and I think another, sorry just conversing with that I think sometimes um uh, it can be quite easy to um. With, with the subjects that you're very, very comfortable with and the subjects you know a lot about, it can you can sometimes get a little bit complacent when you're teaching it, I think. And I think you sometimes forget what it was that made you fascinated about it and, and what you um, enjoyed learning about it. You know, because I think also when you do learn a topic from scratch, you're sort of understanding how you're learning it. So then you can apply that to the lessons. You can apply that to the scheme of work. Yeah. Um, you know, you think, well, I, that's the bit that caught me when I read that. So that's going to that's catch the year nines, you know, that's going to catch the year eights.
2: And I think I think for me, my ultimate game, if, if I'm teaching a history lesson, is is to actually get the students talking history, like having, having a dialogue on history. So it's, it's got nothing to do with the learning objectives, got nothing to do with, you know, the plan that you had in your head. But you've actually, you've got a, a group of historians in front of you who actually just want to talk about history. And I think having, you know, being brave to, to be able to orchestrate that and to to set that up in your lesson—that is when you really feel like you've made it. For me, as a history teacher, and you sit back and you think, "Wow, my job here is done." I mean, obviously, I've got past exams, but um, but there's there's that like that love of history. If you can get the students to to reflect that, then I think you're doing really well.
5: Yeah, and I think and I think the most so that, that's that's why finding those hooks and finding those 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 little things that drag them in um are are really important aren't they you know just finding that because you can have the most fascinating subject in fact i want to ask ben about something um, in a minute actually about this you can have the most fascinating subject but if you can't quite find that hook to get them in it's it's you can lose them so easy yeah um you might think it's amazing and you can get into it and and obviously if you if you can't get that passion across it's brilliant but um you have to find those little hooks you have to find those kind of little little nuggets even like, like like you know um not to, you know, to cheapen the subject, but just to find those kind of little horrible history type things just to throw in there, just to get their attention. Just give them some kind of horrible fact or some kind of, you know, yeah,
2: absolutely uh, agree. something that kind of grabs them yeah. and
5: then you can sucker them into some proper academic study. So. <laughs> um,
2: OK, so I'm going to bring Ben back into the conversation. Are you OK to ask him some questions? Jen? Yeah,
5: sure. Sure. No, it'll be a, uh, a privilege. Um,
2: let me just unmute Ben. Hello Ben can you hear me? No it's not coming on. Oh hang on I'm being too clicky. Hello Ben can you hear me?
4: I, I can can you hear Excellent. me? Excellent
2: sorry I got a bit excited and started clicking and then it overrides my first click. <laughs> right. um, so are you all right to to answer James's questions?
4: Of course yeah
5: hi James nice to meet you. Hi Ben, hi, ben. Nice, to, nice to hear you tonight um, and nice to talk to you. Um, it's a couple of things actually the first thing i wasn't even going to ask you about this but i I've, I've just started thinking about it it's just about the, the the curriculum in general and kind of the topics we teach now obviously it's Black History Month this month, and um, so we're kind of um, we're doing you know a, a, a sessions on it in the morning of registration and and in, in, incorporating it in the lessons i've I've got a bit of a problem with Black History Month just as I have a problem with women's History Month in that it seems to kind of it separates it from history. Do you know what I mean? It seems to, it seems to create a completely separate thing. And it's, it almost kind of gives legitimacy to not integrating it as part of the curriculum. Now, I know we're, everyone's working on this now. And and there's been, you know, some migration schema works. And um, in my previous school, I taught the OCR migration unit, and I, I love teaching it. And then students really love learning about it. But I do worry that, it's being you know, as much as as well intentioned as these kind of history months are. They do tend to kind of um, allow these the, these parts of our past to be kind of pigeonholed into a separate area. What do you think about that?
4: Yeah, th- this is this is no fun, is it? Because uh, I completely agree with you. Um, <laughs> the the uh, I I do feel troubled. I mean, I, I think there's a part of me that maybe thinks, well, okay, it's better than nothing, but. Even then, you, you think is it better than nothing? Because mm. as you say, there's a danger that it legitimizes the almost nothing. Um, I, I I personally think that the answer lies. <laughs> this is no great surprise. Lies in the history um, that you know th- this is not a um, this is not a pedagogical you know sort of um, problem here this is actually more of a kind of cultural and arguably even a, a political one yeah um, and that, that you know I think there there are there are different ways to solve this this riddle if you like um, and I don't think it's possible to say that any particular one is the right one or it's valid uh, I don't know if you were listening earlier on when I was just saying that one of the things that we've tried to do is um to so so in our our first term of year seven um we have this um sort of big question that, which is um what made the world circa 1000 right um and they they then basically we, we sort of say to them Look, there are four big things that, that, you know, sort of shape the world. I mean, obviously, we can't do everything, but there are four big things. There's there's the legacy of the Roman Empire, there's religion, you know, faith of some sort, there's trade, and there's migration. And climate is kind of bracketed in with that because climate tended to drive migration. And the, 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 the advantage of that sort of approach is that um, it allows us very early on, you know, when, um, <clears throat> when we're sort of in the, um, in the, when we're looking at the Roman Empire, you know, the, the idea that, that, that Rome's richest province was Syria, you know, and that um, North Africa was the breadbasket of, of the Roman Empire. Um, just trying to expand the, the horizons, right? You know, from from an early stage, and then obviously when we're going into into looking at things like um, faith, then we we look at the fact that um, you've got these, <laughs> you know, roughly one thousand um, CE or AD, whichever one you want to talk about. If if you just land on a settlement anywhere from sort of um, Central America through to to, to sort of um, the the coasts of the eastern coast of China, then every settlement every sizable settlement has has a big lump in it that points into the sky. You know, the, the fact is that there is some ceremonial thing in in it's almost common to all civilizations. And I think these are the sorts of things that we can start to say that there are things that, that kind of unite us. Mm. And then when we go look into trade, you know, we're obviously into the Silk Roads and that takes us straight away to Mali and West Africa, particularly. Um, and so the, the, the first real contact, if you like, with Africans is as the, the richest parts or one of the richest bits of the Roman Empire. And then one of the richest parts of um, the, <clears throat> the the sort of the, the post-Roman world. Um, and, and we, you know, it takes us further into, um, you know, when we're looking at European expansion, as I said earlier on about the, the Portuguese making serious contact with African civilizations, um, because they're, they're rich and they're, they're, you know, valuable trading partners and, and that sort of thing. And I guess this is what I'm saying is is that the answer to, to these sorts of things, you know, I guess what you're getting at, and I'm sure you're right, you know, is this problem of the first time a lot of our students sort of, Come up against Africa. It's it's in the context of transatlantic slavery. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 then you know if that's the first time, then if you bring the backstory in, then I suppose it's a bit like a novel, isn't it? You know the, um, if you get to sort of chapter thirty six, and the author says, "Oh, by the way, I, I forgot to tell you this," <laughs> which is going to give the plot away. You know, the, yeah. the fact is that a good novelist needs to bury that point back in chapter three. Um, you know, because otherwise he's not going to get the, the the sort of the the impact. Um, I think there are other ways to do this. I mean, you know, we you could teach the history of the transatlantic slave trade simply as the history of the resistance to it. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, there are lots of these solutions, but the the, tra- the truth, fact, the tra- I think anyway, that the answers to these things lies in in thinking about the history. You know, is, is the construction of of a curriculum that is yep. going to build a narrative in in people's minds that you want rather than one that
2: you think hmm, she
4: I think like that, I think also
2: working working closely with with the leadership team of that school as well so you know make making them aware that this is how it looks to, to a historian. Like if you're gonna, gonna pigeonhole these things within a week, we, then we need to delve deeper into, into the curriculum and get it embedded yeah. right from the beginning of, of key stage three when they, they come into school. So it's not such a shock and not such a surprise.
5: Yeah, and I don't, th- I don't think that's, that's that's particularly hard to do. I think you can embed mm. and, and and integrate those stories as as you say, Ben, it, right through because there there are stories there, and it, it's not really that hard to, to 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 put those in. I think it's just going to take a bit of time, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah. people like David Alasuga has come in and uh, and Miranda Kaufman, and they've they've written some excellent stuff. Um, so anyway, I, yeah, at no, same I,
4: time I I would say you know the. Um, You're right that all those things are there, but actually, in many ways, they are they are relatively recent. You know, Frankopan and people like that. Mm. These these kind of broader histories, these all-encompassing histories, are you know comparatively recent in um, in the history of history, as it were. Yes. Um, You know, the and and even actually looking at the um, you know the transatlantic trade. Um, you know, the truth is, I mean, nobody really was writing anything about that until about the 1960s. Mm. And so it, it's still a relatively new, young discipline. Um, yeah. And whilst the scholarship is fabulous, it takes time for those things to, to get embedded. You know, you think about those old chestnuts that are there in popular consciousness, like the lions led by donkeys or yeah. uh, something of those things. Uh, it It takes time for them to become
5: embedded, and obviously it takes time to unpick them yeah no i i agree um i know I know we need to move on, but just just to finally on that as well i think I think one thing that needs to change well, not needs to change will be it'd be a nice change as well is um um you know when we look at uh, key uh black figures in history it's often um especially in modern history it 's often um american um figures yes. yeah and I think people i mean we we know about rosa Parks uh and such like um, but we know a lot less about, I mean, I know um, Steve McQueen's done a lot to address this, but people like Asquith Xavier, um, who was the uh, train guard who, who broke the colour ban in London, I mean, he's, he's just as important in this country, arguably, as, as Rosa Parks is in the States. And I know it's going to take time, but I'm, I'm really hoping that, I'm, I'm trying to sort of get that more into, into our year nine curriculum, actually. When we look at 20th century, we're doing a lot more on not just Windrush, but what happens after Windrush as well. And I think that's important.
0: Not just, seeing, really not just seeing, not
5: just seeing people yeah. as um as, as victims either. Not just seeing black figures in history yeah. as victims, you know, um because we tend to like yeah. Walter Taylor, etc., and Herbert Morris. Um, so I think we need to sort of look more at figures who have actually done something dark as how people like this, um who have actually made an impression, particularly in a sort of mid to late twentieth century. I think it's really important and and to be used as role models as well. Anyway, sorry, we've gone yeah, this too far. I you was know. Gonna say,
4: I, but but also I think Miranda Kaufman. The thing I really like about Miranda Kaufman stuff is that they're, they're just there. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. They don't, they don't have to be heroes or or villains or or anything else. That's right. It's just sort of well
5: yeah, just there. Yeah, that's right. And and that that's that's powerful in itself to know to know that those yeah. you know that those those figures are there and they just haven't been spoken about much in the past. So, um, thanks, Ben. Um, can I just can I just ask you another just a. sort of, about exams and such like well first of all I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have a look at your new books I think they look really interesting um,
2: um, um can, I just, can I just jump in I know we've got three of us on the line I, I think it's great because we're, we're just talking history um then we put out on the Twitter feed for TT Radio um one of your first books um your GCSE <laughs> textbook book I mentioned it in my introduction Um, And it's got so much interest of people saying, oh, we still use that or we've still got them in the cupboard or it's really good for a non-specialist to use. So this is your GCSE modern world um, history book. So that that one is still going strong for us. Just just so you know.
4: (laughs) Thank you. My my favorite ever comment on that was from someone who said that um, they liked it because uh, for the the top sets, it's... um, it's got plenty of detail and information for them, and for the bottom sets it makes a really good shield. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right, go, on, go, on, James. Ask a question.
5: No, well, I, I was just going to say. I mean, um, you know, I'd just like to ask, really, what what you're offering in that book that is um, different from what we get from the existing set texts,
4: <laughs> right? Um, I, That's I sorry was that was quite a, that
5: was quite a typical interview's question wasn't it I didn't mean like that but it's just you know I, I, I'm, I'm curious
4: really I think it's um, the it was the, the result really of working with a, with a mat where they all did NXL, and we were you know constantly sort of producing materials to to help with the, the main issue which, which was the, the difficulty that the, the students had to to move from, if you like, the acquisition side, you know, to, to recording facts and figures and dates and so on. Um, and, yeah, this this will be familiar to every history teacher, is, is, there, is this old problem of the students, they, they know stuff, but they find it hard to do anything with the stuff, Yeah, you know, to, to, to answer the questions in a kind of um, structured way. And I, I, as I was saying earlier on, I think one of the problems is the fundamental mindset issue is, is the, despite all our best efforts, I think a lot of students are still convinced that there is a single correct answer. Yeah. And, and they f- therefore find the act of saying, here's what I think, really quite um, threatening. And, and sort of, you know, the, because um, you know, nobody's going to tell me what this answer is, you know, that I can't find it anywhere. And, and they, they really struggle with this idea that you have to kind of construct it for yourself. Um, and so the tasks really were, were designed to try and help with that, you know, bridge that gap almost. So if you look at the tasks, they're, they're very definitely, they're not exam questions. They're not exam practice. They're, they're an attempt at sort of being the bridge from the content, you know, to, to being ready to tackle an exam question. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, basically, how do we make sense of this? Um, and and also an attempt to try and make it you know as, as regular as possible. Uh, I think one thing I've probably come around to over the years is they used to think a, a wide variety of tasks was was a good idea. and I'm beginning to think now that maybe actually a, sort of a small range sort mm-hmm. of repeated regularly might actually be you know this is all in the light of cognitive load and all that kind of thing
5: Yeah. I think I think you're right. I, think, You know, and I, I think the, the problem we've identified there that, you know, from recording the knowledge to actually be applying and, and also, yeah, having the confidence to um have their own, make their own judgment. I mean, I spend my whole time sort of telling them that, you know, the history is the study of the past rather than the past. It's not one clear story. And, you know, it, your, your judgment may be different to the person next door, but it doesn't matter as long as you've got the evidence to support all that kind of stuff. But you're right. They still they still struggle with that confidence. To-
4: yeah, um, and this is why we need to start banging on about it from the first lesson of Year 7.
5: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: oh, fantastic. Um, I'm going to have to stop you there, James. I think we've probably got time for one more question, so make right. it a good one. Uh, oh, my God. I whoo- know um, oh, the, pressure, the pressure is on, um, and, then, and then I'll come back in after that. Thank can you. I, can I,
4: just, just before the question comes in, you, you had a message earlier about local history. Yes. Uh, try, try the British Association for Local History Oh, and well
2: also done. look yeah. up Dr. Claire Kennan on Twitter. Dr. Claire Kennan? Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you, Ben. That was for, for Leanne. Thank you.
5: Okay, well, just, just one more question, uh, if I may. And actually, it's focused on the EdExcel um, exam, actually. Um, I'll be interested to know what you think generally is the most challenging part of the EdExcel exam for the students to to do well at. Hmm.
3: Uh If
4: if I'm absolutely honest, I I think that um, what many people think is the strength of the exam can actually be the biggest problem. So it's this thing of, you know, sort of um, they've set themselves up with these kind of question stems. um, Mm. And the the, the problem is that history just isn't that convenient. Um, So if you take something like the, you know, explain the consequences of, for example, um, yeah then okay that you know re- reasonable enough question but it means that you know that that's the main question or one of the main questions on the let's say for example the superpower conflict mm. um and the the net result is the they never get asked the question why something happens in the cold war
5: <laughs> yeah
4: you know and, yeah. and i think that you can see where it came from you can see the thinking you can see the ideas but actually you know it's a classic one of these his, history
5: isn't made to be jacketed in that way yeah no i think that's a good point point. and actually funny enough it's interesting you were using the the cold war unit as an example because um uh, i'm you know I'm, I'm very keen on the cold war it's one of my favorite periods but a lot of my students do find it quite hard to access um, more than mm-hmm. any of the other units but um and i think yeah I, that, that question can be quite um, tricky, I think. Um, and so, just finally, have, can we? Can you? Are you able to give us clarity, complete clarity, <laughs> on um, the exam arrangements of twenty twenty two? Can I just check that it is basically what it was last year, but instead of center assessed grades, it is, it's the exam. But basically, we're dropping a, a topic. Is that right? I, I,
4: um, I don't <laughs> think we've had it in gold places writing yet, have we? We haven't had it officially, but. You know, everything I've heard is that yes, that's the case.
5: Right. Okay. Well,
2: Fantastic. That be... <laughs> <Is> that... <laughs> <laughs> just end on that one. Brilliant. Um, can I just say to both of you, both on the line, thank you so much for giving up your evening. And uh, and Ben, a couple of sort of take take homes. For me, um, and for all of all of the history teachers out there, is that we're, we're absolutely more enriched because of everything that you've, you've done work-wise and what you're still doing today with all your books and your resources and the input that you've had. Um, and just go back to that quote that it's our job as a history teacher to access academic Um, to access the academic world and translate that to the students. I think that's a really lovely way to end. So thank you so much, Ben, for coming on. And thank you so much, James. I hope um, any history teachers out there listening to to you managed to sort of ask your question through Ben. So, um, sorry, through James as well. And I know that we didn't have time to ask all the questions because uh, that would have to have a a very long show because there's been a lot of interest with it. So thank you so much, both of you. It's
5: been a pleasure. Absolutely
2: lovely have a lovely evening both of you thank you. Bye. thank
5: you
4: very much good night
2: bye um, and what, what wonderful way to spend the evening just listening listening to history and and obviously when you have someone um who who lives and breathes teaching history as well like james the questions that um he's asking are hopefully are really relevant to you as listeners as well so i really hope you've had an absolutely fantastic evening i certainly feel a lot more enriched and i feel like i've had a whole evening of cpd just by listening to some of what What Ben was talking about. Um, Thank you for tuning in and thank you for listening. Um, Next week on my show, um, I'm not doing history next week, we'll come back to that after after Christmas or in the new year, Um, I've got Tara and Kate and this is actually going to be the first part of two sessions. Um, They work with the Knowledge Schools Trust and They work alongside the Oxford University Press, and they've written the new phonics scheme, Essential Letters and Sound. So if you were interested in anything to do with uh, reading or getting everybody to read out loud in class, this is uh, primary and moves all the way into secondary. Um, We've done quite a few shows around this with Ruth Everett. I I spoke about it with Sarah Gallagher and her her work that she does within the community to embed that lust of reading and how to help with it as well. So they're going to be on next week talking that. then they're going to be back again on the 2nd of november so a couple of really good shows there to look forward to um, thank you so much for listening everybody and have a fantastic evening and a wonderful week
1: you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on teachers talk radio
2: Um, Leanne, just quickly, if you're on, I know I need to um, go off and I've come back on, I'm unlike the scene um, at the end of the credits in the cinema. Um, ben answered your questions. I've just seen that you re-entered. And he actually said that the best way to get local history resources at primary level is through the British Association. So make sure to look that up as well. Okay, I'm definitely going now. Bye.